you have your Bibles, you can open to Exodus chapter 21. And one of our pastorates, one of the young couples that came to our church was a couple named Tom and Cindy Zobrist. They were a young family just starting in the church. They'd moved up to Texas. In the process of getting to know Tom and Cindy, we did several things together. We uh, often had picnics together. We had them over to our house at different times. We were at their house. We did Bible studies together. They were just part of the life of the church. But on this given occasion, they were over at our house, and the kids were playing in the bedroom. And their son, Ben, was jumping on the bed, as kids do jumping on the bed. And somehow as he was jumping on the bed, he all of a sudden went backwards and caught the back of his head across the headboard, put a gash in his head, and just started bleeding. It was bad enough they had to go to the hospital. When he got to the hospital, they had to put stitches in it. It was interesting at that time when all of a sudden you get an injury like that and you find out, what's my responsibility as a homeowner when somebody gets injured in my house? And I found out my, my homeowner's insurance covered the stitches for him because he got injured in my home. And I was liable for such a thing. Now, I like to think when Ben did that, that somehow it was a great investment of our family and myself in particular into his life because he, was, he played for the Cubs here and did a great job as a baseball player. And I thought that was our investment that night, <laughs> healing his head that he could play baseball for the Cubs. Sorry, White Sox fans. But you know, something like that when we start wrestling with accidents that happen, mishaps that take place in our homes, of somehow being a neighbor and all of a sudden other kids come over to play at your house and they get injured and something happens like, what do I do with this? Or somehow you're visiting somebody else's home and you do something or you borrow something from somebody and it breaks and all these things that happen that you wonder, well, who's responsible and what happens here? It's interesting as God's laying down the law for this new nation, he actually sort of steps back and says, you know what? We gotta talk about how to be a good neighbor. We gotta talk about things that you're responsible for and, and how you handle property and such things. What happens when there is an injury? Who's responsible when that occurs? As we go through this passage, you're gonna see a lot of things taking place. We'll look at four primary things. But something you have to understand, we get to this first point, and if uh, we get the next slide, I've got this blank right now for you to see something. If you want to see the verses here, see how it's broken up? It says Exodus 21, verse 12, 15, 17 to 19. What we're doing in this section of going through decisions was we broke up the passages into four major areas. As we did that, it was sort of cut and pasting in a sense. So this isn't where we're going through the next eight verses, then the next eight verses. A little different than we usually do exposition here. So I'm just letting you know what's going to happen. So the slides will be up today so you can see the verses we're pulling from in order to get the idea that we're talking about. So the first one we want to talk about is when it does come down to the idea of injuries. Here's what we read in Exodus 21 and starting at verse 22. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. If you did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hands, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from the altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. 
And whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Those deal with death ones. Those are serious events. That's when violence occurs. That's when manslaughter occurs in those kinds of events. That's when injuries are serious enough that all of a sudden you start talking about jail time or even the fact of somebody's life for a life. Those are not the common ones we face. The common one we face is more in the next verses where it talks about quarrels that take place. And here's what we read in verse 18. When men quarrel... And one strikes the other with a, with a stone or with his fist, and the man does not die but takes to his bed. Then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear, only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. All of a sudden starting to deal with those injuries and saying, listen, when it comes to our life and, and being a good neighbor, when it comes to all that takes place, there's sometimes quarrels that take place. And typically I've not found in ministry that there's been a lot of quarrels between men and women where there's physical things that take place. But we do see a lot of times with quarrels with kids when it takes place. When all of a sudden children get themselves into a fight. Or they come home and they're bleeding or something. It's just starting to understand the scripture saying, listen, part of being in life is understanding how you handle quarrels that take place. Injuries will happen. Things will occur that way. And when they occur, how do you handle that in the process? And being a good neighbor is one that you do acknowledge that there's injuries that take place. There's times that there's a fight that may occur. There's times when quarrels arise between neighbors and even friends and family. And when those things do arise, there's a need to deal with that quarrel. Here in those situations, it's actually when they get physical. And an injury occurs that somehow there's some recompense for it. There's somehow recognize what's transpired. There's responsibility you take if you're one who causes the injury. It becomes an important one to think about. It happens in our families. It happens in our neighborhood. All of a sudden, there's responsibility we take as a good neighbor. That somehow there's a quarrel that takes place. Somehow there's some kind of injury that occurs. Some there's a scuffle or something, it's stepping back as a good neighbor and saying, I take responsibility when injuries occur, when I know I'm at fault or what has transpired. And there's actually recompense for it. If somehow there's a cost that came to it, it's covering the cost as well. And so he's going through and setting this for a nation. And these are the serious events, serious things we're talking about here. But it says, when you're starting a new nation and you create this nation, you're making laws of how you operate you need to be aware of what injuries occur and who's responsible for those. But it's probably the next section that brings up a little more what we run across. And those deal with the mishaps that happen in life. And there's various kinds of mishaps. I mean, mishaps are those things you're not planning for, but they occur. The first one it talks about are accidents. Here's what it says in the text. We're here at uh, chapter 21 down to verse... 28. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall be not eaten. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. We're sitting here saying, what in the world do oxes have to do with us? It's property. And most of us, I don't know if anybody here owns an ox, but if you do some good instruction for you here, But keep in mind, this is an agrarian culture. Everybody had ox, they had fields, they had crops, and the animals were ones where there was their uh, business. 
They're basically farmers in a sense, or ranchers, or they're raising them vineyards. And it's understand this is the occupation of the people. It's identifying here if you had an ox, and somehow that ox gets out and gores somebody to death, you have a responsibility to take care of that. And when you take care of that, it's not where the uh, ox that you planned for it to happen, but it was an accident that occurred. When I lived in North Dakota, I found it quite interesting. We, we came together with some friends one time, and they were talking about a farmer or a rancher whose cow got out on the highway. And some car was driving down the highway and hit that cow. And I thought the driver may be at fault. I said, no, the, the cow is at fault. It's like the cow's at fault. Yeah, the owner of the cow's at fault because the cow got out and was not supposed to be on the highway. And it was the cow's fault that you ran into a cow. And it's identify what accidents are. Where all of a sudden, the accident of an animal, and you're responsible for that. You know, this is probably more for us today if all of a sudden you have a dog and somebody bites somebody. It's like you're responsible. But you're saying, look, accidents happen. That's how life is. And understand, if accidents happen, take the, the responsibility of who's liable and how you deal with that. It goes on to a second issue. It's not just when accidents happen. It also talks about negligence. Here's what it says in verse 29. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been worn but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. He said, now listen, pay attention here. If you have an ox that gores somebody one time, well, that's an accident. But if you have an ox that has a tendency to gore people regularly, that's not an accident anymore. That's negligence on your part. You should have done away with the animal. It's interesting you watch the national park system. Whenever there's been a bear attack, they always euthanize the bear. One time it attacks a person. They don't give it a second shot. They don't say, you know what? We'll see if this happens again. Their practice is if you maul somebody, you're put down. And it's almost as though they understood this passage. You can't risk and be negligent by having the same animal cause that over and over again. And we're no different. If somehow you get bitten by a dog once, it's like, well, that could be an accident. But when you talk to your neighbors and find out that dog's bitten five people in the neighborhood, you're saying, wait a second, that's negligence. That's not an accident. And there's responsibility. So as a good neighbor, the sense of protecting people. But there's a third one it talks about here. And that's when it talks about being reckless. Here's as this one's described. Starting down in verses 33 and 34. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit, and he does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. So now he says, you've got a pit here. And pits were usually cisterns to gather water or for your fields or for drinking. And so you've got an open pit and you don't cover it so people don't fall in, that's just a reckless act on your part. And you can't live like that. And so it's making another distinction when it comes to mishaps. So just think about these three things. You can have an accident, you can have negligence, or you can be reckless negligence. So the easy way to illustrate this is all of a sudden you're driving your car, you're coming to a stoplight. 
you come to the stoplight, you put on your brakes, the person in front of you puts on their brakes, but you're just going a tad too fast, and, and you, at the very end, you actually bump into the rear end and you hit them. That's an accident. You didn't try to do it, it happened one time, okay? That's an accident, but, but here's negligence. Negligence is all of a sudden you're driving down the highway, you're zipping along at the speed limit, the light changes, it's now red, and you find yourself driving through that red light. That is not an accident. That is negligence on your part. But it can get worse. Let's say you're driving down the highway. You're driving at 40 or 45 miles per hour. It becomes a warning sign that says school district. And the speed limit's 25. And there's a group of kids walking across the street. And you drive at 40 or 45 miles per hour through that intersection. Now, that is reckless negligence. And the scriptures are recognized there's different kinds of mishaps. We understand that. But you have to understand your responsibility on the different ones and the responsibility that comes with that and your liability that comes too. If it's an accident, we understand that can happen. The cost is not as great. But when you start showing negligence as a neighbor, there's a higher cost to that. And if you're going to be reckless... There's even a higher cost to that. And don't we watch that with our neighbors? When we find something that doesn't seem right, and we say, well, that's just an accident. But aren't you aware when somehow it keeps occurring over and over again that you're just like, well, that's just being negligent. And then you're aware when something is actually reckless. But just for us, us if we're going to be a good neighbor... Somehow I went to your next door neighbor and knocked on the door. Just inquired if you were a good neighbor. How would they reflect on your life when an accident occurs? What responsibility do you take? Or do we find ourselves getting defensive of what took place? Because accidents happen. Negligence, that's more serious. And if we're reckless, that is very serious of how we're conducting our life. And keep in mind what we're doing. We as parents, as we're raising our kids, they are watching us all the time. And they learn. They learn from us. How we respond to an accident. How we respond when all of a sudden we're negligent. And if for some reason we are reckless, how we respond to that too. It is something we learn in our behavior. So we have injuries. We have mishaps. The third one we have are, are losses. It's all of a sudden when somehow you face a loss because of that relationship with somebody else. And that loss occurs in a variety of ways. Here's what we're going to see. Let's look at verses starting in uh, chapter 22, verse 1. Now he's going to talk about a loss here. Um, and it's one of stealing, is what he says. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and it kills or, or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. And now we're back to oxen, we're back to sheep. And he's basically saying, look, if you're going to steal, if you're going to steal something from somebody, you're going to have to pay it back. There's restitution. And how easily it can be able to steal something. All of a sudden he says, if you're going to steal... Make sure you're aware there's a consequence to stealing. And no matter how nice or what your neighbor may have, 
You're not supposed to steal from your neighbor. And he goes through here and he identifies. It could be an ox. It could be a sheep. It does say, though, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, just really no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold uh, for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive and in his possession, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Just identifying that also we have to understand when it comes to our relationship with other people, we can actually steal things. Even things that don't look like they're that significant. My dad worked uh, at the Library of Congress and um, he was there for 40 some years and uh, I remember going to work with him regularly and we'd sit there. In the Library of Congress, what it was designed like was, um, if you remember old card catalogs, you know, where you, you went through and you slid out the doors to check all the books and everything. Imagine a four-story building, a whole city block filled with those. And my dad did copyright searches. That's where you copyrighted something. At that time, it was good for 28 years. And if you didn't recopyright it, I could recopyright your material and I'd get the royalties. And he did searches on those copyrights and things. But I remember going to visit his office, a couple things I discovered about my dad when I was in his office. One, I never knew he wore glasses until I got to his office. And he wore reading glasses because he was reading that little print on those little three by five cards. The other thing was my dad had candy in his desk all the time. We never had candy at the house, but my dad had candy at the house. I enjoyed going to work with my dad. I got candy and I got to sit at a big desk all by myself. And I got to read magazines with him too. But as we were doing that, seeing him there, the one thing I noticed was he had all this government property. He had all these pens and pencils that said U.S. government, U.S. government on. You know, as a kid, I never once saw a U.S. government pen, pencil, pen, or anything in my home. My dad never brought one thing home from the U.S. government and used it at the house. He never stole property of where he worked and brought it home and made it his personal or our family property. And I didn't even know there was U.S. government pencils until I went to his office and saw what he did. How simple it is for us to steal things, little things, over and over again. Have you ever gotten extra money back at the McDonald's? Somehow they counted wrong. And all of a sudden you've got extra money in your hand. Or how about when you go to the restaurant and they don't charge you for an item they just didn't list it there. You know that drink you enjoyed, that iced tea or that Coke? And somehow it doesn't show up on your receipt. Do you inform them that they've given you something that they forgot to charge you for? Do you give that McDonald's person the money back? Do you let them know that you're not going to steal what is theirs? Now, stealing is something we can do so simple. Not just big stuff like ox and sheep. And donkeys. We can steal little stuff on a regular basis. And how do you explain to your kid why you have U.S. government pencils, mechanical pencils in your home that they get to use for school? Stealing. The loss of things for your neighbor of how they see that. Uh, there's a second way that there's a loss. It's not only through stealing, it's also how we damage things. Look at verses 5 and 6. 
Keep in mind, when we talk these animals and these fields, this is the livelihood of these people. These are not incidental purchases or property. This is their livelihood. Here's this one. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over, or lets the beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and his own vineyard. In other words, if you've got your field here and your cows are grazing... And they would look over here and say, man, that looks like a good field to eat in. And your cattle go over in this field and start eating. You're taking his property, his grain, his livelihood. And you're damaging it and you're stealing or damaging it so he can't get the profit. It continues on here. He says, uh, if fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain, that means they've already finished harvest, and the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. So it's just identifying again. Here's this loss where you've taken their livelihood, their property, the things that would make their business go, and you've just damaged it so they can no longer get the profit from it. You owe something for that. And all of a sudden start thinking at times when we damage other people's property. It says, look, as a good neighbor. Beware when you damage somebody and other people's property. It just isn't good enough to at times say, I'm sorry. There's a cost. Cost to fix it. Sometimes we break it so much, a cost to buy a new one. It's just identifying when it comes to our relationship with our neighbors. Be aware when all of a sudden there's something damaged. When something's damaged, there's a cost. And there's a loss that has taken place. And I'll give you a third one here. It's the idea when you lose something. Verses 7 starts, introduces, it says, If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it's stolen from the man's house, if the thief is found, he should pay double. Thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God and show whether or not he has put his hand to the neighbor's property. In other words, have you stolen it? For every breach of trust, that's the relationship you have with your neighbor, whether it is for an ox or a donkey or a sheep or a cloak, for any kind of lost thing of which one says this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. He says, listen, you can lose stuff too. Now all of a sudden I could loan you something, say here I want to watch over this, and all of a sudden I come to get it, it's gone. What happens when you lose things? What's that look like? It's looking at times you sit and talk it over as a couple, as neighbors, say what do you do with this? But it may be if you lost it, somehow under your responsibility, you need to repay it or buy it for them. And just start to think through the times how we borrow things from people, we loan things to people, how we lose things to people. That they said, would you watch over this while I'm gone? The hardest one is somehow you're watching over fish. You hope there's no markings to know that it's this fish they lost. Oh, fish. So they have another one here. When you borrow something, look at verse 14 and 15. Here's what it says. If a man borrows anything of his neighbors and it's injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make restitution. So if I borrow it and you're not with me, I make restitution. But catch this one. If the owner was with it, 
he shall not make restitution if he was hired. It came for his hiring with So in other words, other words, if your neighbor comes with you and says, hey, I'll come over here, I'll mow your lawn for you, I'll do all that with you, and he's mowing the lawn, you're going to pay him for it. It's like, and his lawnmower breaks, you don't owe him anything. Because you hired him to do a job, and it's his property, and he's with it. And he says, listen, just understand when you borrow things. And borrowing happens a lot of times. You know, all of a sudden it's like you want to uh, do your... Uh, trim your hedges and you have a friend who has an electric hedger and all you got are these. So, boy, wouldn't it be good to do this a little quicker and you borrow them? Just, you're responsible. It's just saying, look, we borrow things from it. That's not an issue. It's like, who's responsible? What happens when there's a loss when you borrow something? And the scripture just going here and saying, listen, there's some relational issues to be aware of that are ongoing. That deals with property and relationships with people. There's one final one, and that deals with anger. We get to anger, all of a sudden it's going to shift and deal with our words that we have. There's no question we may get angry, but it's also how it fleshes out in relationships with other people. Now, here's what it says, starting in verse, uh, chapter 22, and then we're in verse uh, 28 is where we're at. And then into chapter 23. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with the wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fail in or fall in with the many who do evil. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. And he's identifying here's a couple things to keep in mind. When you get angry, your words become important. So when you're angry with somebody, it's the idea, one, you don't revile God. That's, you don't speak against God and who he is and bring him down and not show the respect he's due. He says, even when it comes to your rulers, the leaders that you have, you don't bring curses upon them. That's where culture, you would say, brings some, almost um, the power to work against them. He says, beware of how you speak. But then he comes down, he speaks in particular, and he says, listen, you should not lie about the truth when it comes to your relationship with people. In verse 1, do not spread a false report. He talks about lying. But then he also, in verse 2, introduces another one. This is when all of a sudden you're not lying anymore. This is when all of a sudden you're perverting justice by withholding the truth or agreeing to what other people said happened. He's just saying, listen, when it comes to relationships with people, you have to be careful, be aware when you get angry, frustrated, disappointed, of the words you use, and you do not lie for your own benefit or gain. You do not join a party of people who are saying this when you know it's not true. Don't join them in saying it is true. You cannot pervert justice. Now, as we go through all these things, we're listening to them. It's like, boy, there's a lot of things going on here. A lot of words that are used. A lot of things to understand here about relationships with people and all of a sudden how to be a good neighbor. It deals with how I deal with my anger. What happens when there are losses in our relationship? What happens when all of a sudden there's an injury? What happens when there's a mishap? But all those are interesting things summarized by a word that's used here 14 times, but it's not our typical translation. 14 times the word shalom is used in here. Shalom. Usually means completeness, finishing something, but in our passage here, every time it's translated, it either says something about paying somebody, 
retribution uh, and also paying back things. And in the process of using that word, the word shalom, we often associate the word peace. And I think there's hidden in here this idea that when it comes to relationships with your neighbors, of being a good neighbor, of being with other people, is that somehow you're striving for peace with all people. When you think of working in relationships with your neighbor, what you really want is to be at peace with your neighbors. When you think of your neighborhood, what you really want to see is that there's peace among all the neighbors. And he's just telling you, if you want to be a good neighbor, be at peace with all people. And it's a common theme in this passage, even though that's not how it's translated. But I can assure you, if you take into account how you've damaged something, how there's a loss that you're responsible for, if you've injured somebody, if you come with the idea, I want to maintain and build a peaceful relationship with my neighbor, you'll find a way of correcting and addressing that issue that you bring peace, restitution, reconciliation, payment, so that there's peace in that relationship. I'd like you to turn to two passages in the New Testament. Romans 12 and verse 18. Romans 12, verse 18. Short verse. Picks up on the same theme of peace. And when Paul wrote to the Romans, he said this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Same thing that we find here in the Old Testament. If you want relationships... Being a good neighbor, you want to be at peace with all people. But Hebrews 12, 14 gives us one more step in that process. So turn to Hebrews 12, verse 14 with me. Hebrews 12, verse 14, because it gives one more benefit. That if we're a good neighbor, if we build this relationship with our neighbors of how we handle all these things, if we're at peace with our neighbor, there's an additional benefit that comes from that. Here's what we read in Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's saying, listen, in your relationships, I want you to strive for peace. I also want to, as a good neighbor, is strive for holiness. Why? Because the only way this unbeliever will see the gospel will see God, will be, see Christ, is if they see the holiness in your life and the peace that you're striving for. Tom and Cindy, as they were part of our church, I still recall they built this close relationship with their next door neighbor. And uh, they did a lot of things together. And on this one Sunday night, Tom came to church and uh, his lawnmower had broken down. So he came to church and shared a prayer request. He said, we need a new lawnmower. Could you just pray for us that we can find a new lawnmower? And uh, so their neighbors, a couple days later, called him and said, there's a big box sitting on your front porch. So Tom went out and got the big box and opened it up. It was a brand new lawnmower. And the neighbor could not believe. And there was a note on it that said, from a family in your church. And Tom couldn't believe they got this brand new lawnmower, but neither could the neighbor. And the neighbor all of a sudden found themselves quite interested in this church, this people who would give brand new lawnmowers to somebody. 
And they came to a Bible study at Tom and Cindy's house. And through that Bible study, because that peaceful relationship, because that holiness of their life, they came to see Christ. And that couple came to Christ because Tom and Cindy were good neighbors who strove for peace with all people and in the process led their neighbor to Jesus Christ. We're all called to be good neighbors. We all need to strive for peace and in the process we may lead some to Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for the gospel that is so good to hear. But to realize just being a good neighbor, being at peace with one another, we can actually bring that good news of Christ to other people. Lord, for each of us here, let's be those who can evaluate that in our life, examine for ourselves of our relationship with you, but our relationship with our neighbors and friends. And in that, Lord, come to know that we can be those people who strive for peace with all people, and through that, we may bring them to Christ. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Now, it turns to we talk about peace, and that whole idea that peace in our relationships with one another, that peace is one of the most important things in our relationship with God. Because the fact that we were justified, that is declared righteous by God, it also tells us we now have peace, we have peace with God. The idea of peace starts with Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. It somehow understands that we're sinners. Oh, that I think we understand. We all know we've done things sinful. We've done things we've done wrong with our neighbors. But with that sin, it has to be addressed. And when Christ died on the cross, that was the payment for our sins. But in being raised from the dead was a demonstration that he was God. And by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God. That's what we celebrate with communion. That relationship that we have peace with God. That peace that comes only through Christ. And as we practice this as a church, it's one that we invite you. If you are visiting with us today and a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to join us. You don't have to be a member here at Village Church. But we're glad to have you join us if you have faith in Jesus Christ. And with that, what we do as a practice, you'll find by your seats there, there's a little cup. You can hear the cellophane being pulled off now. And under that, you'll find a little piece of bread or wafer. If you pull it again the second time, you'll have the cup to drink from as well. But as we come to this, it is one that uh, we always prepare our hearts for it. We take about a minute of silence of preparing our hearts. And what do I mean by that? One of you don't know Christ at the time you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved right now. It's one that if your relationship, that somehow you've done something this week, you're aware of it, that between your relationship and God as a believer, you've just broken, you can confess some sin. Maybe you think relationally with your family or your neighbors, boy, there's something you need to confess. It's a time of confession. But it's also a time of thanksgiving. That you may find yourself giving thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ for his death, for his resurrection, and for the new life you have. And thanks to the Father for loving you so much that he sent his only begotten Son. And through our faith in him alone, we have that salvation. So let's bow our heads, time of silence, and go to the Lord in prayer.